Gonzaga dropped 100 on Pacific in yet another dominant offensive performance. Is it enough for the Bulldogs to jump back into the top 25? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. All right, folks, we do got some mailbag questions to get to in the second and third segment on today's show, but we're also going to talk about Gonzaga's win over Pacific on Saturday and what it might mean for the AP Top 25. I know many of you are probably listening to this show after the Top 25 has already come out in the AP poll, so you know whether Gonzaga did sneak back into the Top 25, whether they still got left out. We will recap that on Tuesday's episode of Locked on Zags. But for today, I just want to talk about the game and a little bit about what has kind of happened this week and led to a spot where Gonzaga could end up being back in that conversation. So for starters, Gonzaga did what we wanted to see them do against Pacific on Saturday. They'd struggled in that first half of that LMU game, and frankly, they didn't look perfect at the start of this game against Pacific on Saturday, but ultimately rolled to a 102-76 to victory, shot 66% from the field, 40% from three on eight of 20 shooting. They were also 20 of 22 from the free throw line. You love to see that, 66%, 40%, 91%. Uh, that is the kind of offensive efficiency we've been wanting to see from Gonzaga on a more consistent basis. And while they still have had their struggles, like we said, the first half against LMU was a struggle. Certainly you go back to that game against St. Mary's. Granted, that's a top 10 defensive team in the country. But by and large, we have seen Gonzaga's offense develop into a more consistent, the type of machine that we are used to seeing from Gonzaga teams these last six, seven, eight years. It just took them a little longer to get there. But this was this was right up there with as good of a efficient offensive performance as we've seen from this team in a long time. Graham E.K. in particular, absolutely phenomenal stuff from him. 21 points, six rebounds, perfect nine of nine from the field. Would have had a perfect game had he not only gone three of four from the free throw line, was one of just two missed free throws for Gonzaga on the game. Hard to get too nitpicky about a performance like that. Meanwhile, really balanced scoring elsewhere across Gonzaga's offense. Ryan Nempart had 18, Anton Watson had 17, Braden Huff. Also had 17. Nolan Hickman had 16. Again, they were kind of getting it from every different direction. For Ryan Nampart in particular, 18 points and 10 assists. Con- second consecutive double-double with points and assists for Nempart. This is the version of Ryan Nempart that we wanted. And it took him a little longer to get there, adjusting to a new offense, adjusting to new players around him. Certainly everybody else was adjusting, Hickman adjusting to a new role, Gonzaga adjusting to not having steel venters. Like there was a lot of adjustment that went into the early part of the season. But this version of Ryan Nembhard, who's now put up 36 assists in his last four games, 36 assists in his last four games, compared to just eight turnovers, means averaging eight assists and two turnovers per game in those last four performances. Really, really good stuff that we have seen from Ryan Nampart as of late. 
So the question now becomes what this means for Gonzaga in terms of potentially being back in the top 25. And like I said, you may already know the answer to this question as we record this on Sunday evening, but we'll talk more about that on Tuesday. But what I what we do know, here's what we do know right now. Number 19, BYU. Number 20, Wisconsin. Number 21, Virginia. Number 23, Indiana State. Number 24, Florida Atlantic. And number 25, Oklahoma. They all lost this week. In fact, Indiana State at 23 and Oklahoma at 25, they lost twice. That's a lot of teams in the bottom half of that top 25, the bottom third, the bottom fifth of that top 25 that were taking losses this week. It has been a season full of top 25 teams failing to continue to capitalize on those victories. There's a lot of parity in college basketball this year, the transfer portal, NIL, handful of different reasons for that, a conversation that can be delved into on a much deeper level uh, in the future, in the off season, when we have more time to kind of look at the full scope of the results here and what this is uh, kind of means for college basketball potentially going forward. But what we know right now is that top 25 teams keep losing. And teams that fall out of the top 25 keep kind of climbing their way back in. And Gonzaga's in a position to potentially do that. Now, there are other teams as well. Utah State and New Mexico were both teams that got that received votes that also lost. However, the teams that those two teams lost to were Colorado State and San Diego State, who also received votes in the top 25 last week. In fact, all four of those teams, I believe, received more votes than Gonzaga last week. The only one I'm not confident about is New Mexico, but they lost, so they'll be out of the picture. Colorado State and San Diego State almost certainly climb back into the top 25. So those are two of those spots that are probably going to be taken by those teams. Clemson and Texas Tech were two teams that were outside of the top 25 uh, that were had been in that receiving votes category. They both also lost, likely helping Gonzaga potentially kind of push past them into that conversation as a potential top 25 team. There are other teams that are going to be in this conversation. Washington State, very likely going to be ranked in the top 25. Could Washington State and Gonzaga both get in the top 25? Absolutely. I think it's very realistic to consider that uh, as a possibility for these two programs. But uh, Washington State is probably going to be picked first. Uh, If AP voters are are deciding between one of the two, uh, I think Washington State is going to get more votes. I think it's realistic that they're in and Gonzaga is not. That's not going to be a particularly fun thing to be dealing with for Gonzaga fans, but uh, Gonzaga is certainly getting closer and closer to being in that conversation. How much does the top 25 really matter? You know, to every person, it's a little bit different. I think for some people, this is a really important marker for this team to get back into that conversation. If it doesn't happen this week, assuming Gonzaga takes care of Portland and uh, Santa Clara next week, they probably will then be back in that conversation if they don't do it this week. So it's not something that would be overly concerning to me personally. I can tell you right now that Mark Few and the players truly don't care that much about it. It's not that they don't want it. It's not that they wouldn't be happy seeing that they were back in the top 25, but that's not their focus. It's never been Mark Few's focus. It's just not something that he's particularly worried about. He's worried about the next game, the next matchup. He's worried about making sure this team is ready to get themselves in a position where they win the rest of their games or at the very least win that last game in in the WCC tournament and put themselves back into the NCAA tournament and continue that streak. That is what is important to him. But it would be nice to see Gonzaga restart that top 25 streak uh, as soon as Monday or, again, as soon as many of you are already listening to this. Uh, Other things that really help Gonzaga, Kentucky, massive, massive win over the Auburn Tigers on Saturday afternoon on the road, went to Auburn, took down Bruce Pearl's team. This is a huge win for Kentucky. We won't get into all the logistics of what it means for John Calipari and the Wildcats because that just doesn't matter to us specifically other than it 
more legitimizes Gonzaga's win. Kentucky was spiraling. They were spiraling when they lost to Gonzaga. This does not mean that they're done spiraling, that they're not going to lose any more bad games. They totally might. There's a decent chance that they will. But they picked up this one. They won this one. They picked up a big-time quad one victory. That's huge for Kentucky. And it's good for Gonzaga. It solidifies that win. That win was never really in danger of dropping out of quad one because Gonzaga went on the road. Kentucky was never going to drop all the way out of the top 75. So it doesn't matter as much in that perspective, more so just from a kind of an eye test perspective from a, a looking at the resume and looking at the teams that they played. If Kentucky doesn't keep spiraling and actually kind of rights the ship a little bit, that helps Gonzaga in a major way, having picked up that victory. UCLA is at Utah tonight on Sunday night as I'm recording this. I don't know the results of that game. If UCLA picks it up, there is a reasonable chance that they will be within the top 100 at the net. If that happens, that quad three win that Gonzaga has right now over UCLA becomes quad two. That's a nice bonus for Gonzaga as well. USC had a great opportunity to potentially climb into the top 100. They lost in double overtime against Colorado. I was watching that game really hopeful that that team would be able to pull that one off. That would have helped Gonzaga quite a bit. Didn't quite get it done, unfortunately. But with Kentucky's big win, with UCLA continuing to play good basketball, those are the kind of things that are going to help Gonzaga's net resume, at least, look a little bit better as we get closer and closer to March. Well, Gonzaga's bench remains an area of concern, particularly with the recent struggles from Dusty Stromer. We're going to address that and more coming up after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. Folks, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster, and they do it for free. LinkedIn is not just another job board. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire and gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process both easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process even easier. They just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even quicker and more efficient. Right now, 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. And if you would like to join them, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, folks, segment two here. Still any patents, still locked on Zach's podcast. We are switching over to make this rest of this episode mailbag Monday here, as we like to do on Mondays here on Locked on Zags. This first question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, what contributions are needed from the bench for the Zags to make the big dance and to avoid to advance, excuse me, to the second weekend of the tournament? I think the biggest thing for Gonzaga right now, knowing what we know about the bench, knowing what we know about the depth that this team has, knowing what we know about the starting lineup. It's not about the bench necessarily needing to come in and entirely like reproduce what the starting lineup is doing. We really just need the bench to be able to consistently provide at least adequate enough performances that Gonzaga doesn't take a big dip when those players come into the game. Gonzaga doesn't do hockey substitutions. They're not bringing three or four different guys off the bench at the same time. So you're having one player, maybe two players from Gonzaga's bench playing at a time. And all we need those players to do is to be able to somewhat reliably, somewhat consistently avoid dropping the performance of Gonzaga as a unit because of their play. 
That's really it. That's all we can really expect from Gonzaga's bench right now. And I think that's the biggest, most important thing. Braden Huff is obviously incredibly critical to this. Braden Huff offensively is one of the few bright spots on Gonzaga's bench. He not only comes into the game and is just adequate, he can actually boost things. He can, he can forces other defenses to have to play differently because of his, his size, his ability to space the floor, his touch around the rim. Like he provides something that nobody else on Gonzaga's bench has really been providing a spark of sorts. Now Braden Huff struggles defensively and teams are going to figure that out. John Calipari in Kentucky did not, but Stan Johnson in LMU did. Braden Huff came into that game. They gave Lars Thiem and their big man the basketball and let him just push Braden Huff around and score over him. Other teams are going to do that. And Braden's going to need to be able to find ways to play adequate defense so that he can stay on the floor so that if Graham E.K. does get in foul trouble or if Graham E.K. is tired or if there's any situation where Braden Huff, they need him to play big minutes, he because we know he can do it on the offensive end, but he needs to prove he can do it on the defensive end. That's a huge hinge. For Luka Krajnovic, it's more of just being able to, to give those guys a breather. Give Nolan Hickman or Ryan Nembhard a break with two minutes left in the first half so that they can get a little bit longer break coming into the second half. We don't need Luka to come in and hit a bunch of threes and get a bunch of steals and effortlessly run the offense to perfection. That's not what we need from him. Eventually, we would love him to be capable of, of providing that. But because he's a true freshman, because he didn't join this team till September, because he missed a month with a hand injury, we just want him to come in and make good decisions with the basketball, not be a turnover machine, play decent defense. All things he's, for the record, more than capable of doing. I'm not saying that this is like a hard threshold for him to reach. He's more than capable of doing that. But I don't think you want to expect any more from him than just that right now. And then the other big key is Dusty Stromer. And that kind of leads into this next question here from Austin via Discord, who says, Dusty Stromer seems to be a fraction of himself from what we saw earlier this season. Is this something to be worried about? Or is this simply a freshman being a freshman? Well, it's a freshman being a freshman, but it is also something to worry about. (laughs) I don't see why that doesn't have to be both here in this situation. Freshmen hit a wall. This is not uncommon. Nolan Hickman really struggled in the second half of his freshman year. Corey Kispert really struggled in the second half of his freshman year. I think in the last like 16, 17 games of Corey's freshman year, he averaged five points per game. He averaged 11 that season, but it was cut in half in the second half of the year. Hickman went on a huge shooting shooting slump in the second half of his freshman year. Is not uncommon. Outside of the absolute elite tier freshmen, the Jalen Suggs, the Chet Holmgrens, most college basketball freshmen struggle in the second half of their freshman year. Dusty was already asked to do more than they ever expected they would ask him to do. He wasn't expected to start. He wasn't expected to play as many minutes. He wasn't expected to be asked to to have a bigger role offensively. None of that was what was in the cards for him until the steel venters injury. So I think Dusty has already exceeded expectations by how he played early in the year. And now he's hit that wall, but it, it, but yeah, it is concerning. Because Steel Ventures isn't back from his injury. Like, they still need Dusty Stromer. And Mark Few made the decision to, to switch Ben Gregg into the starting lineup. And it has paid off incredibly handsomely, as we've talked about on this podcast. One of the best in-season coaching decisions I think we've seen Few make in, in a long time. But it, Dusty still needs to be a, a contributor. And he hasn't been. He struggled significantly against Pacific. He struggled in the last couple of games. And I'm not trying to knock him. I think he's he's trying really hard. And again, he's been asked to do a lot this year. And I think it's been a a challenging season, particularly lately, because he has hit that wall. He has played more games than than he's used to playing and and playing more minutes than he was expected to play and all of that. But Gonzaga still needs him. 
They need him to be able to, to give them 12, 15, 18 minutes per game. They need him to be able to hit open threes in the corner. They need him to be able to play good defense, get some steals, get out in transition, do that stuff. Gonzaga's going to need to find a way to get that out of him because we know he's capable of doing it. We've seen it this year. We know he is capable of it. But if he continues to just kind of be stuck hitting that wall and Gonzaga's kind of down a guy because of that, that's going to be a big issue for them when they get into the WCC tournament, when they get into the NCAA tournament, like they're going to need him to, to be a contributor. And right now he hasn't been that guy. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says the St. Mary's game in a week and a half is no doubt a huge game, but unless one of USF, San Diego, or Pepperdine beat St. Mary's, Gonzaga will not be able to catch them in the WCC standings. So could it be that the games against Santa Clara and San Francisco are more significant games for Gonzaga? A win over Santa Clara guarantees Gonzaga no worse than the three seed, and a win over San Francisco guarantees Gonzaga the two seed in the tournament regardless of the outcome at the St. Mary's game. I don't think so. No, I, I think all the games are significant. I don't. I mean, at this point, Gonzaga has to win every game or they have to win in Vegas. Like that's kind of been the expectation for a while now. And I think it's possible that Gonzaga could win every game and lose in Las Vegas and still make the NCAA tournament. In fact, I think for lack of a, I think it's likely. I, I honestly do. I think if Gonzaga were to beat St. Mary's in Moraga, if Gonzaga were to beat San Francisco at the Chase Center, both quad one games unlikely to change, barring, you know, a collapse from San Francisco, Gonzaga would have three quad one games. I think their quad two record is going to get a little bit better in part because of a potential continued success for UCLA, maybe USC as well. And I think for Gonzaga, if they do all that and they lose to St. Mary's in, in Vegas, they're still going to make the big, the big dance. But any other losses and that's over. Lose to St. Mary's in Moraga and lose to them in the NCAA tournament or in the WCC tournament, you're probably not making it. Lose to San Francisco, lose to Santa Clara, you're, you're not making it. So I, I think all these games have equal significance because they have to win them. You have to win them. And so, so to me, I don't see whether they're the three seed in the WCC, whether the two seed in the W, it doesn't matter to me. If Gonzaga is going into the WCC tournament as the three seed, they have to win it. So it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter whether that's the position they're in or not. Yes, they have more games they have to play because you get that double buy as a one seed or a two seed. And I understand that, that is an argument that would be important, but every game that Gonzaga plays from now until the last game in, in Las Vegas is equally important because a loss puts them in a position where they probably have to win that one if they want to be dancing. Final question of the segment here comes from Austin via Discord. Austin says, three out of the last five games, Gonzaga has shot over 40% from deep. Do you think that high percentage shooting is possible at USF and at St. Mary's? Possible? Of course. Absolutely. But here's the deal. Context really matters in this situation. Portland and Pacific, two of those three games that Gonzaga shot 40 plus percent, are quite literally two of the 25 worst defensive teams in the entire country per Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. I believe Pacific right now is the sixth worst defensive team in the country, and Portland is like right around 25th. LMU, the other team out of that trio that they shot 40 plus percent against, uh, is barely top 100. They're 261st. Excuse me. So they're one of the bottom 100 teams in adjusted defensive efficiency. Those three teams are bad defensive teams, not just like, uh, you know, a little below it, bad, bad defensive teams. Two of them are awful. LMU is just bad, but pretty bad. Meanwhile, Kentucky's barely a top 100 defense in the country, and the Zach shot four of 18 in that game. Kentucky's currently 80th in adjusted defensive efficiency, but I think when Gonzaga played them, they were like 97th or something like that. Meanwhile, San Francisco's 37th and St. Mary's is ninth. These two teams are light years better defensively 
than not only the three teams that Gonzaga shot 40 plus percent against, but also a team like Kentucky who Gonzaga struggled against. These teams are light years better. Two top 40 defensive teams in the country, a top 10 team in St. Mary's on the road. Yes, the the San Francisco game is not really on the road. That's very interesting. Uh, that's probably going to be a pretty pro Gonzaga crowd for that one. But the St. Mary's game is a true road game against a top 10 defensive team. And I'm not saying that Gonzaga is only capable of shooting 40 plus percent against teams that are bad defensively using this one specific stat from Ken Palm. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that the context is incredibly important. Gonzaga has, for the most part this year, shot very well from three against bad teams and not as good against good teams. That's true of a lot of teams, but it has been particularly true for Gonzaga. And I think seeing them shoot well in three of their last five games when those were against the three worst defenses they played is absolutely a relevant factor in this conversation. If Gonzaga can find a way to shoot around 40% against both San Francisco and St. Mary's, the odds of them winning go up dramatically. But those two teams are good at preventing you from shooting well from three. And historically, when Gonzaga's played good defensive teams, they haven't shot it well from three. So we'll have to see it to believe it. But which projected top-seeded teams are actually solid matchups for the Zags? And where might the women end up starting their NCAA tournament dreams this March? All that and more coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live game same live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. And I'll continue to say this: the Gonzaga women's team currently 240 to one odds to win the national championship. We'll talk a little bit about where we think they're going to get seated, but a five dollar bet right there nets you twelve hundred dollars if they're cutting down the final nets in April. If you want to get in on that action, visit FanDuel.com/lockedon and shoot your shot, FanDuel and official sportsbook partner of the NBA. All right, closing out today's show with more mailbag questions. This one comes from Hartman Zag on Discord, who says, with the NCAA Top 16 reveal, we got an understanding of the top seeds. If the Zags got an 8-9 seed, which one, one seed do you think we have the best chance of beating or worst chance? Yeah, the worst chance is UConn simply because UConn is the best team in college basketball. It was a common, it was a conversation between them and Purdue for the last couple of weeks. Purdue takes that loss on Sunday to Ohio State. UConn obliterates Marquette, one of the top five teams in the country. It's no longer a conversation. Gonzaga, of course, has already played both Purdue and UConn, and they lost by a bigger margin to UConn. They played more competitively with Purdue in the first half, so that already played a factor in this conversation. But UConn is playing better now than they were in December, while Gonzaga is too. UConn is, is so deep and can beat you so many different ways. And when they're fully healthy, they are the best team in college basketball. They are the worst matchup for Gonzaga. If they do get an eight, nine seed and UConn is the one seed on their, in their region, that is a really tough draw. I think among the top, the one seeds that were listed on this top 16 reveal, Arizona is the most likely one to be beat by Gonzaga. I also think they're the least likely to actually end up being a one seed when the selection Sunday committee makes their decision. But if Arizona is a one seed and Gonzaga is an eight, nine, a, I'd be furious if I was Tommy Lloyd. That's not a fun matchup at all. Uh, but I think Gonzaga has a chance in this one for sure. 
Arizona's not a very good defensive team. They're very inconsistent this year. I think Graham E.K. is a better basketball player than Umar Balo. I think they have an advantage in the front court because of that. Uh, Caleb Love is a very inconsistent score. If he has an off night, uh, if Arizona doesn't play well defensively, these two coaches know each other really well, which I think doesn't necessarily mean that Mark Few has a big advantage necessarily because Tommy's going to know what Mark's doing. Mark's going to know what Tommy's doing. It creates a very interesting chess match, but I think they're the most vulnerable of those top one seeds regardless of just the actual Tommy and Mark few of it all. But I also think that Gonzaga has a, an advantage against that team. Houston really struggles offensively at time. I think Gonzaga's defense could really give Houston some serious trouble, but they're so, so good defensively that I think they'd still be, they do a good enough job on that end of the floor that Gonzaga would have to shoot. Well, if they don't shoot well, I think they lose that one. So that's my kind of my, my pick right there. Purdue definitely beatable, but it's not going to be easy. I think I'd rather play Arizona. I I'd definitely rather play Arizona. I think I'd probably rather play Houston than Purdue, but UConn is definitely the one I would least like to play out of the current projected number one seeds. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, in recent history, Gonzaga has been sent out to, this is about the women's team, I should say, uh, Gonzaga has been sent out to an Oregon State hosted regional multiple times in 2019 and 2015. In 2015, Gonzaga beat Oregon State. In 2019, Gonzaga lost to Oregon State. Could we be looking at a rubber match? between Oregon State and Gonzaga in an OSU-hosted regional, especially if OSU ends up as a four seed. Totally. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to shake out. There's obviously a lot of games left on both sides, but the possibility of Oregon State being a four seed and Gonzaga being a five seed in the Portland regional and playing each other in the second round is 100% something I could see happening as Gonzaga is currently trending towards being a number five seed. And recent success for Oregon State puts them in a position where they may end up being on that four line. Next question on that similar note comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, the Lady Zags inexplicably appear to be a five seed in the big dance. What has their what has their best seed been in the history of the program? Is this primarily a matter of conference strength? And is it strange to call a two-loss team a Cinderella story? Under Lisa Fortier, the Zags have been a five seed twice. Those are the highest seeds the program has ever had. So if they get a five seed this year, it would be the third time and it would tie their record for the highest seed in program history. They were a five seed in 2021 and they lost to a 12 seed in the first round in Belmont. They were also a five seed in 2019 and they lost to a four seed in Oregon State from that aforementioned question uh, regarding that potential matchup again uh, in 2024. Uh, regarding conference strength, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it a handful of times on the podcast. Uh, the WCC is incredibly weak this year. It's a bad conference for women's basketball. The second best team has been Santa Clara throughout the year. They haven't even been a top 75 team for the majority of the season uh, as in their net ranking. So for Gonzaga, they are just light years ahead of the rest of the programs. I think Gonzaga's margin of victories, more people are treating them as like, wow, the teams Gonzaga's playing are bad, rather than, wow, Gonzaga's blowing these teams up, which means they must be really good. I think there is a bit of that kind of bias there. I also think most AP voters who are located on the, on the East Coast aren't staying up till one in the morning to watch Gonzaga beat Pacific by 65 points. So they're not seeing what this team is doing, seeing their efficiency, seeing their talent. They're just seeing, wow, they keep crushing all these teams that I've never really heard of. So I'm assuming that they're just playing a bunch of bad teams. Therefore, they must not be all that good. It's the same narrative that followed around the men's team for, I mean, still kind of does, but definitely followed around, you know, a decade or so ago. And it's kind of permeating on the women's side right now as well. Uh, final part of the question, uh, is it strange to call a two-loss team a Cinderella story? If Gonzaga gets a five seed and they go to the Sweet 16, they upset a one seed, they make it to the Elite Eight, they make that Cinderella story run. I don't think that's what we're going to be calling them. 
I think that the conversation, at least my, con I'll tell you right now, my conversation, and hopefully this is uh, part of the national narrative as well, is we should have seen this coming. It's not that this team is a Cinderella story, that they came out of nowhere, that there's some magical good luck run team, slippers still fits type thing. It's, oh, this team obliterated Stanford by 18 points. This team didn't, every single game they played in the WCC was a blowout. This team is incredibly deep and they're incredibly old and they're incredibly talented. And we should have known that they were going to do this. Like that's going to be the narrative I'm spreading. I'll tell you that right now. And I think a lot of other people who are pretty plugged in, at least to West Coast women's college basketball, are going to say, yeah, this is not some Cinderella team. This is a, a team that was underseeded as a five seed that everybody knew was dangerous. And they did exactly what we thought they would do and made themselves a run to the Elite Eight or Final Four or whatever uh, ends up being the run that, that Coach Fortier's team makes this year. Final question of the show here. This one comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, thoughts on baseball's opening series at 22 UCLA? Yeah, tough to see them go 0-3 uh, in this opening series. They had a real chance to win that first game on Friday. Uh, two out, two run single in the eighth inning. Ended up costing Gonzaga the game. They lost 8-7 to in that one. Were not particularly competitive in the other two games. Lost 10-3. to on Saturday, lost 6 nothing in a shutout on Sunday. So 0-3 for them in that first series. But look, UCLA is a good team, and this Gonzaga team is young. They are inexperienced playing together. It's a lot of new faces. Lost a lot of talent in the last couple of years. I like that they're starting off their schedule difficult because they're not just starting at UCLA. They also go to Vanderbilt, historically one of the best college baseball programs in the country. They're playing BYU. They're playing Minnesota on the road. They're playing Oregon State twice. They got Oregon a little bit later in the season as well. The WCC is good at baseball. Gonzaga is projected to finish sixth in the WCC this year. They have been in the top two, three for the last couple of years. This is a team that is hard to project and hard to pin down because they have lost so much talent in the last couple of years. But I like that this group of newcomers, this group of young players, gets the chance to, to go play a top 25 team in UCLA, to go play Vanderbilt. It's trial by fire. It's going and finding out who's ready for this. Who's maybe not ready for this? What adjustments do we need to make early in the year so that when we get into conference play, we can be ready? We finish better than six. We finish better than fourth. We finish in the top two again. Because this seems absolutely capable of it. And these kind of road trips early in the year, even when you get your teeth kicked in 10 to three and six to nothing in your, your second and third game of the year, that's that's okay. We got to make some adjustments. We got to figure out how to how to write the ship here. We got plenty of time to do so. So I think I, I like that they play they're playing this schedule. I don't love the results. Nobody does. I promise you that. But this is going to help this team in the long run. I'm excited to see what they look like a month from now, two months from now, when they're in the thick of the WCC season. It's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. I want to thank you all so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Remind you to join us on our Discord channel. It is free. There is a link in the show notes on audio and video platforms. You can come hang out with us there. We'll be back later this week to get you ready for Gonzaga's games against Portland and Santa Clara, get you prepped for the top 25 once we learn more about what that's going to look like, and, of course, get you ready for the women's basketball games this week as well. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, as always, go Zags.